This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Um, our passage today is going to be Matthew 28, verses uh, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, we want to thank the tax collector for reading the word to us today. (laughs) One of Jesus, one of Jesus' favorites. Welcome, oh, I don't need them now. Welcome to those who are with us today uh, in person. And we've got some visitors, somebody who hadn't been here in a long time, visiting with us and others for the first time. We're thankful for all of you and all of you who are watching this uh, online. We're thankful for you. You know, a friend of mine told me about a church recently that's in our community, it's in the county, that will not allow people to join the church unless they can verify that they do not have a TV in their home. The women cannot work outside the home. They can't wear makeup. They can't wear jewelry, and they can't cut their hair. Men cannot also cannot wear short sleeve shirts. I'm not sure I can figure that one out. One man in the church had to turn down a job that required him to wear short sleeve shirts because of the machinery that could grab grab his long sleeve shirt and jerk him into the machinery. But he said, "Sorry, brother, I can't. uh, I can't risk going to hell to work at your place of business." I said to the person who told me about this church, you know, that church sounds a lot like a a place that they're known more for what they're against than what they're for. Now, last week we began a discussion of five things that we're for here at Antioch, five values that we treasure. We're in between, for those of you who are visiting, we're in between Genesis and 1 Peter. So we'll start 1 Peter, Lord willing, on the 16th, but today and next week we're going to continue this series on five values, five distinctives that have shaped us as followers of Jesus Christ. We talked about biblical worship and expository preaching last Sunday. If you missed that one, you can go to sermonaudio.com, look for Antioch Community Church, and you can download it, or you can also go to our website. Today, let's continue with two more distinctives or two more values that we hold here, uh, and we hold them dearly, and those are a commitment to missions and a plurality of elders. So as we heard Jeremy read a few minutes ago, Jesus' last word to his disciples before he ascended into heaven was, go make disciples. As you go, make disciples. We call that the great what? Commission, right? The great commandment's different. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The great commission is, go, make disciples. As you go, you don't have to cross an ocean. You don't even have to cross to another state, right? Kip, Kip's, my amen's in the the house. Come on, you got to keep up with Kip now. If you're going to amen today, this, this only happens, we only make disciples through the gospel, which remember Paul said in Romans 1 is the power of God for salvation to all, to anyone who believes. Now, I would submit to you that the melodic line of the book of Acts is the expansion of the gospel. As you read the book of Acts, what the melody, the melody is is the expansion of the gospel, right? From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost 
parts of the earth, the victorious march of the gospel. Jesus said to his disciples, in the upper, not in the upper room, but this was after he had, he had risen from the dead, he said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Luke 24, 46 and 47. That's the what. What are we to do? There it is. Proclaim the gospel everywhere we go. Well, how do we do that? You know, you say, well, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I'm shy. I'm, I'm scared to death of doing that. Here's how we do it. Acts 1.8, Jesus said this, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth, right? When the Holy Spirit comes in you, which all of you here who are born again, You've trusted Jesus. At that moment you were born again, the Holy Spirit came in. In fact, if he didn't come in, you're not born again. And if he does come in, come in you're not just born again, but you are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, until that day, right, when we will finally and forever be with Jesus in heaven. There's a seal. He puts a ring on us and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not divorce you. I will not forget you. I'll be in you. And because I'm in you, you have my power to be witnesses everywhere you go. I love that wonderful story in Acts 13 from which we got the name of this church. Right? The leaders of the church at Antioch in Acts 13 were worshiping the Lord. They were worshiping the Lord. And I, suggest, I would suggest that genuine worship always leads to mission, right? Where does mission come from? It comes from worship. When we look into his face and we see what he's done for us, we can't help but tell others what he's done for us. Worship leads to mission. And the reason for mission is that God may be glorified and worshiped by more people. So the elders of the church at Antioch, the original Antioch, right, were worshiping, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, to the work for which I have called them. Thus began the greatest missionary work I believe the world's ever seen, and it continues to this day and in this Antioch and in every church that believes the Lord Jesus and the Great Commission and is filled with the Holy Spirit believes the gospel, right? So we encourage everyone at Antioch to be involved in personal evangelism and discipleship. You say, I can't do that. You can do that. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You can tell people about Jesus. It doesn't mean you're on the street corner yelling at people as they walk past. Now, some people can do that, and maybe some people should do that. But your evangelism is probably going to be more a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, a friend, someone with whom you have an established have established a relationship. But we need to bring Jesus into that conversation as much as we're able to. So we involve we encourage everyone in here to be a witness in obedience to the Great Commission. But we also encourage everyone to be involved in local and foreign missions in three ways. All right? Here are the three ways you can be involved in local and foreign missions. You can give, you can send, and you can go. Now, the easiest thing is to give. And you did that. In 2022, at least according to my numbers, Dick can correct me later if I'm wrong, but 31.4% of tithes, now there's money that's given, sometimes it's not a tithe, and it's designated for different purposes. 
but 31.4% of your tithes went to support local and foreign missions. Our track record for the last many, many years has been around a third of what comes in from the tithes goes out to support missions. And I praise God for that. I praise God for your faithfulness, your diligence, and your discipline to, to give. And those just a, a sample of the, uh, I think it's 11 foreign missions or 11 local missions that we support, like Piedmont Rescue Mission, and 9 or 10 different foreign missions. Your giving help people get to the mission field, helps people get to the mission field for a short, short-term trip. In fact, 35 of you went to Kentucky just a few weeks ago, and next Sunday you're going to be able to come up and give us a report about that ministry. As you were building and as you were ministering to uh, kids that have autism and women who are in a substance abuse program, you were, you were the hands and feet of Jesus, and the money that came in helped you to go. The giving led to the sending. Your giving helped me and several others in the church at various times to go to Moldova and Eastern Europe in the past seven years. I don't know how many times we've been, but we've, we've seen dozens of churches and villages and hundreds of men be taught about what it means to be a prophet, priest, protector, and provider in their homes, and it's making an impact in that nation. Your giving has sent numerous teams to Boca Chica to dig latrines and provide water filters and to teach at the church on the island and, and now to help build the school there on the island. Uh, a, a, a team went to Mississippi to help rebuild after Katrina. Your giving helped teams build houses in Juarez, Mexico. I don't know how many houses, Vic. You know how many houses they built? We built two, twice. We could go on and on about trips to Haiti, Kenya, where Caleb and Celia are desperately trying to get to right now. They've been delayed. South Africa, Newcastle in the UK, Berlin, Ghana, Zimbabwe, Ethiopia, and more. Those are places we've been. Now, when we give to the church and we help provide for ministries around the world and help send people to serve them, we're storing up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt nor thieves break through and steal, to quote from the King James. So give and sin. Continue to give and sin. I'm thankful for those of you who are faithful to give your tithes to Antioch, not just to support uh, mission, missionaries, but to help this church and our facility, etc. But also, do your best to go. I, I, I believe, as the, test, the team will testify next week, when they stand up here, I think they'll say in so many words, to go is to grow. To go is to grow, Right? And so I, I would, it would be my desire that every single person at Antioch goes on a mission trip sometime, and the sooner the better. That was my desire. As my children were growing up, I wanted each of them to go with me at least once to Africa, and they all did, and some of them more than once, and other places as well as Haiti and Colombia and others. Each one raised his or her own support, which was part of the, that was part of the faith-building aspect of missions for them was, hey, you need to pray, and you need to ask people to pray with you and, and to support the ministry if they feel so led. And every one of them raised support. And, and in fact, several of them raised more support than they needed and were able to give that to others who needed help on the trip or to leave it with the, with the locals, indigenous people that they were going to minister to in Kenya or wherever. They had heard me quote Hudson Taylor several times who said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. The fruit of short-term mission trips could be listed this way. Number one, they give you a bigger world vision. 
You see the needs of the world when you're there, which usually pale in compare. Our needs usually pale in comparison when we see the needs in other places. You know, just to give you an example, in Kenya, there's several times that I've been there uh, to see uh, the Kabir slum, and that's. I know that part of the te- the ministry of the Feed the Hunger team is going to be in the Kabir slum. It's about the size, at least in my estimation, I'm not real good with geography, but about the size of Elon's campus times two. If you just take Elon's campus over here and you double the footprint of it, and then you put about 800,000 people in there with no running water, then you get the idea of the intense poverty. You know, and I was there, I'm walking down the, there's no streets, I'm walking down the dirt and there's ditches where there's raw sewage flowing because there's no sewage there either. And pigs are eating it and kids are playing in those, in those ditches. And you, you don't get Kabir unless you can smell it. And you see how people are living. And I was in a house that was probably the size of this rug, literally the size of this rug. And as a pastor and his wife and their four daughters lived in this space. What was their, their, their wall coverings? Well, they had some comics that they had cut out of newspapers, and they'd put those on the corrugated tin walls that they had, dirt floor, corrugated roof that leaked. You get the idea. You, you, see, you see the need, right? You get a bigger God vision. You see how God loves the world. And when you go, he helps you to love the world like that as well. Number three, they give you a, a bigger prayer, prayer reason or vision for both of the first two reasons. To know the people there gives us a greater desire to pray for them here and to give as well. Because number four, they open short-term trips, open your heart and your wallet. People who've been to the field, and this, is, this can be corroborated through statistics, people who go to the field, at least for short-term trips, give more to missions. So Go. Continue to give, continue to sin, but as much as possible, go. Let's talk about the second value, and that is a plurality of elders. So many of us grew up in churches, grew up in churches with solo leadership where the head pastor functions as a CEO. That's part of the ecclesiology, which is the study of churches, ecclesiology, right? Study of church. That's part of the ecclesiology in American churches and around the world. In Kenya, they want to be like America. So they build churches like that too, where they have a pastor who's the chief honcho. He's the king. He's the CEO. And all, everything he says goes. I remember one Kenyan pastor asked me, he said, is it okay for me to take all the offering for myself? I said, does the church have needs? Like, do you have a, a building you have to support? Do you have materials you have to buy? He said, yeah, but I mean... You know, that's, that's up to the people. I think everything that comes in on Sunday ought to go to me. See, that's part of that mentality is that I'm, I'm the king. And, and the elders can function as a board of directors, and maybe there's a staff that leads teams of volunteer, etc. cetera. Uh, you might have a board of elders or a board of deacons or a consistory or whatever terminology you want to call it, but it's still a hierarchy with one man, or in a lot of churches around the world, one woman who is in charge. And, and every, everything else is submitted. But that's not the New Testament model of leadership for the local church. Let's try this again. Paul instructed Titus to stay in Crete. Why, do, why did he leave Titus in Crete? Well, he said to set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. Now, don't be confused by that. There was only one church in every city on the island of Crete. 
So elders for every church in, every, in, in the cities. And in 1 Timothy uh, 3 and Titus 1, Paul gives the qualifications for elders. He uses the plural in chapter 5 uh, when, he, when he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. In the book of Acts, remember Paul is stopping off in Miletus. In Acts chapter 20, you can read about this, Paul is going to Miletus, or he's going to Jerusalem, but he stops in Miletus, which is not far from his favorite church. I believe it's his favorite church because he spent more time there than anywhere. And he calls for the elders to come from Ephesus, from the church in Ephesus, to come and meet with him in Miletus because he thought he would never see them again. And you can read this tear-stained speech he gives to the elders in, in, uh, in Miletus who came from Ephesus. He didn't call for the senior pastor and the youth director. He called for the elders to come and meet with him because they were the leaders of the church. Finally, I think one of the most compelling passages uh, in the New Testament model of leadership is found in Acts 14.23. Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey, right? They've left their home church, Antioch. They've been sent out as missionaries and they've been, for probably a year, they've been traveling in Asia Minor, and they've been ministering in different churches. Well, they come back towards Antioch, and they stop in three places where they've been, Lystra, Iconium, and another Antioch. And they preached again, and they encouraged the disciples. But look what else they did. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In other words, they appointed elders, plural, for every church, singular. In each of these passages, we see the same thing. God has ordained a biblical model for church leadership, and it is a council of elders. I would submit to you a healthy and effective and fruitful church is going to be led by healthy and effective and godly elders. So what are elders? You know, when you look through the New Testament, you find uh, different words that refer to leaders. You might see overseers. You might see the word bishop. You might see the word shepherd. And in this case, you might see elders and they're all basically the same. They're interchangeable titles for these guys who served in these offices in the church. The Jews like the word presbyteros, and we get the word Presbyterian from that, right? It means mature, dignified, wise, even gray-haired. <laughs> and then the, the Greeks preferred the word episkopos, from which we get the word episcopal. And it means overseer or one who takes responsibility. And I think both are appropriate because one title denotes the dignity of the office. The other title denotes the duties of the office. Paul lists the qualifications of elders. And back in the day when we went through 1 Timothy and Titus, and you can find those sermons on our website as well, uh, we studied these qualifications and we described each one in, in detail. But I think the last thing he said in Titus chapter 1 under the qualifications, I believe is the most important. And he said in Titus 1.9, he must hold firm, the elder, must hold firm the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So the most important thing elders do in a church, if it's going to, to remain healthy and, and vital in the community and make a difference, right, is to hold on to the word of God. 
I can't remember where I first heard this, but I like this. This, this is wisdom from the Dakota tribe. Okay, Back in the day, the Dakota tribe were known for their pithy and wise sayings. And I love this one. This is a Dakota, Dakota Indian back in the 1800s speaking. If you discover you are riding a dead horse, dismount. Now, here's how that basic wisdom has been reworked for church life in America. Think of the dead horse as unbiblical thinking. The dead horse is unbiblical thinking. Some churches do nothing about the dead horse. They just change riders or pastors. Others say, this is the way we've always ridden dead horses. Some churches form a committee to see, you know, how dead the, the horse really is. Liberal churches reject the notion that unbiblical thinking is a dead horse and merely reclassify the dead horse as living impaired. The only way, guys, the only way to address the dead horse of unbiblical thinking is to dismount, to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And that's what elders do. You know that at Antioch we have six elders, and there are three that we call the younger elders and three that we call the older elders. But each man is qualified, has gone through training, has, has passed the test as far as the qualifications. How many of those six elders, myself included, are men who never sin? <laughs> That would be zero, correct? Right? And we've talked about this. When Paul says an elder must be above reproach, it doesn't mean sinless because we wouldn't have any elders anywhere. Jesus is the only elder qualified. Sinless without reproach does not mean sinless. It means there's nothing hidden. There's no sin that the elder's continually walking in and, and not doing anything about. That's to be in reproach, not above reproach. But the elders here um, take our jobs very seriously, and we think it's important for us as elders to walk together as brothers who love each other and love the body. And what we ask from you is to trust the Lord to lead us to lead you. That's, that's the job. Hebrews 13, you can read two, two passages in Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13, 17, I believe, are the, are the two verses. In Hebrews 13, 7, he says... Know who your elders are, right? Recognize your elders. And then in 17, he raises again and he says, submit to those who are in leadership over you. Why? Because they have to give an account and they should be able to do so with joy. I've told you this before, but John Piper tells the congregation back when he was pastoring at Bethlehem in Minneapolis, he said, your job as a congregation is to make it a joy for the elders to lead here. Make it a joy as much as you can for the elders to lead Antioch by loving us, by praying for us, and by walking with us. Well, here's this is from 9marks.org. You can read more about that at 9, the, letter, the number 9, marks, M-A-R-K-S, dot org. But here's some reasons why a plurality is important. Accountability. Godly elders hold each other accountable, including the pastor, to live, teach, and lead faithfully. That gives little chance for one man to lord his authority over a congregation. How many have heard of churches or ministries that even have TV shows about them now that are led by one man who was not under authority and the whole house of cards collapses, causing great harm to the people who were part of that ministry? 
We've all heard of that, right? Well, there's much less chance of that if, if there's a accountability among the elders and to the flock. We're accountable to you as well. That that, that church will not fall into a heresy and, and collapse. There's also safety. There's safety and victory in a multitude of counselors. A couple of verses there. Another reason is shoulders. I'm sorry, balance. No man has all the gifts that are necessary to build up the church. The plurality of elders brings a balance of strengths and gifts that work together to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And as I tell you guys who go through the new members class, and we'll have two join today, you have spiritual gifts, and the reason God sent you to Antioch is because we need more of your gift. Everybody in here, as I said last week, is a minister of the gospel, and you have spiritual gifts, and you use those in the body of Christ along with the elders to build up the church. Shoulders. God never intended for the church, the weight of the church and the responsibility of the church to be on the shoulders of one man. That's the reason why the average stay of a pastor in a church in America is three years. The average pastor in America leaves the church he's part of after three years and goes to another. A lot of times it's because he's burnt out uh, by all the work and responsibility that he's got. Sometimes he's just climbing the ladder trying to get to the bigger church, kind of like, a, you know, again, a corporate model. You know, you, get to, you climb the ladder to get to the best job you can to make the most money you can. But a lot of times it's just because, man, I'm exhausted. I got to leave these people and go find another church and I can get exhausted there maybe in three years and leave. When Paul met with the elders of the Ephesian church in Miletus, he warned them. He said, wolves are coming. And you know how wolves hunt? In packs. Solo pastors don't stand a chance against a pack of wolves. But I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with Jeremy Troxler and Scott Hahn and Mark Kemp and Vic Costello and Micah Fox. Did I leave anybody out? And we'll take on the wolves. And finally, um, the last one is, is examples. Uh, Greg Harris likes to say the church runs on regular. Plurality of elders demonstrates to the church that the work of ministry is not reserved for the select few or the seminary trained. In order to be an elder, you are to be a qualified man. And I put this on there too. Make no mistake, godly women are examples as well and absolutely vital to the health and fruitfulness of the body of Christ. And all the women in here said, you better believe it. You are. I'm thankful for you. All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful today for uh, the good work you're doing in our lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're thankful that we have been called, Lord, not, not, uh, not just suggested, but commanded to go and make disciples of all the nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that you have commanded us. And Lord, thank you for that incredible privilege and honor that you would entrust to us the gospel to share with others, that they might also come into the kingdom and become worshipers of the only God. Lord, we, we pray that we would be diligent and faithful in seeking out those who don't know you and building up those who do know you, discipling them, bringing them alongside of us that they might learn from our example. And we're thankful, Lord, that you have a, a model of leadership in the New Testament that, that is effective 
and that is spirit-led, uh, Lord. And I pray that you would bless the leadership here, continue to bless the six elders as we lead this church only by your spirit and by wisdom you give us. And thankful for the, the flock that is following our lead and committed to one another. And Lord, we, we pray that the years ahead will, will continue to be better than the years in the past, that every year gets better and better. And we're thankful for that. Lord, prepare our hearts now as we prepare to take communion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.